You are listening to the Gospel Teaching Series from Jubilee Church. This series takes a close look at the simplicity and depth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its seemingly endless meaning and application for life. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. September 18, 2017, I was sitting at uh, Lee's Chicken down here on Kings Highway, and I was tearing into a chicken leg, and I was, I'm serious, and I was, uh, and it was good. I tore into more than that, and uh, I was sitting across from this man hearing his story for the first time, and uh, as he talked, my mind was just blown at the work that God had done in his life, and first of all, I was like, we got a video, this church has to hear the story, but second of all, I was just like, Man, the the man that he's talking about that was sentenced in 2006 is not the man that I'm sitting in front of uh, today. And what I want to ask you to do for a moment here is not to so much clap for him, but to uh, clap for the the work that Jesus has done in his life. So Dwight, you're standing back up over there. I know you're hiding, but man, let's praise God for what he's done in this man's life. One of the things that I was sitting there talking to Dwight that uh, stuck out to me, that sticks out to me in all the stories I hear of, of gospel transformation in people's lives, because as a member of this church, I have the privilege of sitting across the table from a lot of different kinds of people, not just a lot of different people, but a lot of different kinds of people. I mean, talking young people, old people, black people, white people, brown people, yellow people, uh, rich people, poor people. I have the privilege of sitting across the table with a lot of people who Tell me a story similar to Dwight's in, in, the, in the essence of gospel transformation. And one of the things that shocks me every time is that the stories, although the background is very different, the, the background may be I'm coming out of drugs, I'm coming out of alcohol, I'm coming out of prison, or the background may be, I mean, I was raised in a Christian home and my parents told me the gospel since before I can remember. And when I was six years old, I made that profession of faith in Jesus. Whatever the background may be, the, the storyline is always something like this, something like I was living in darkness. Oftentimes, I didn't even know that I was living in darkness. And then I heard this gospel. I heard this good news, this message, not, not this information, not, not just this set of do's and don'ts, but I heard this message of good news. And when I heard it and I believed it and I committed my life to it, it's like the light came on in my life. It's, it's, like, what, it's like I'd been stumbling around my entire life in a dark room and the light switch finally turned on. That's Dwight's story. That's your story if you're a Christ follower. Maybe you're here today and the light hasn't come on in your life yet. What I want to say before we get anywhere else is is that God isn't interested in in you just doing stuff for him. The way that the Christian life doesn't work is that we don't do stuff for God and then God affirms us and we get to be with God and he loves us and he's happy with us. No, no, no. The way that the Christian life works is that we recognize, the first step is recognizing that we're in darkness, 
and recognizing that Jesus has done it all for us, that that Jesus paid it all on the cross and in his life, death, and resurrection, that we can have life in his name. And when you believe in that message, he changes us from the inside out. The, the, The gospel doesn't work from the outside in. We don't clean up our life and then come to God, but we come to God and he cleans up the mess that we call our lives. And so the first step of gospel transformation is that we receive the news that's been preached to us. And when we receive that news, it changes the core of who we are. It changes our identity. And in this passage that was read earlier, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get into his disciples' heads. He's trying to get them to understand that they are, they're not just doing different things. They're not just following a different rabbi, but they are different people because of their encounter with him. He doesn't go first for activity. We tend to go first for activity. I tend to go first to activity. I I tend to think about what should I be doing and how can I change that? But Jesus goes straight for the heart. He goes first for identity. And then once he gets our identity, like Elijah was talking about earlier with the youth, why is identity so important for our youth? Because if their identity is in Christ and Christ is all for me and my life is all for Christ, if they get that, then everything else falls into play. It's like the first domino in a line of dominoes. If we get our identity right, then we get our activity right every single time. And so Jesus gathers up his little band of brothers and he's like, guys, I got to tell you something. I need you to listen close. So he takes them up on a hillside and he, he gets them close and he looks them in the eye. He's like, Matthew, you, you're no longer a tax collector. Peter, you're no longer a fisherman. You may still do those things. You may still have your career. You may still be a mom. You may still be a dad, but at, at your core, you're not a dad, you're not a mother, you're not a husband, you're not a wife, you're, you're not a single, you're, you're not a teacher, you're not a doctor, you're not a plumber. At your core, that's not who you are. I've made you something completely different. You may still do those things, but that's not who you are. This is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now at that, the disciples would have been like, whoa, Jesus. Then you might have been like smoking the wrong thing today, Jesus, because... We're not the light of the world. You're the light of the world. I mean, they would have been quoting scripture to him. They're good disciples. They would have been like, no, Jesus, Isaiah 9, 2, you know, the verse we look at at Christmas, the people walked in great darkness, but on them a light has shown. Jesus, that's about you. That's not about us. You got it kind of flipped up today, Jesus. They would have been like, Jesus, actually, you said something. John even wrote it down, man. We got it written down. John chapter 8, verse 12. You said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They'll be like, Jesus, you're a little confused today. Let us help you out. We're not the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And in a way, they would have been right, right? Because if we're the hope for the world, the world's in trouble, right? And and if you're not a Christ follower and you've looked on any set of Christians throughout history, you'll know they got some problems. They've got flaws. They're, They're not perfect people, but they found a perfect Savior, And in a way, the disciples are right, but in a way, the disciples are are wrong if they're thinking, no, 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 you're the light of the world, we're not the light of the world, because what they don't understand and they won't understand for some time is that Jesus' plan isn't to like open up heaven and shout down to the world like, here I am, look at me. His plan was to come down to earth and to incarnate the person of God, to, to display to the world what God himself is like, and to do that mostly with a little group of disciples, And so indwell those disciples, so fill those disciples with his spirit, with his light, with his salt, that they actually become the light of the world and the salt of the earth. That they actually begin to represent him. You and I and any Christ follower on planet earth, we're like lamps that didn't have a bulb and weren't plugged in. 
We've got the external, but we don't have the source of light. Jesus, when he comes into our life, he puts the bulb in and he plugs us in. We're like candles with no wick. He puts the wick in, he lights us up. We're like the moon in that our our light is not derived in and of ourselves. Its source is outside of us. But we take in the light of the sun and and the light of the sun reflects off of us. Our light isn't our own. It finds its source somewhere else. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, you are the light of the world. But he also says they're the salt of the earth, right? I mean, salt, what's that about? It's flavor, right? I mean, that's what you, eat. That's what you use salt for. You got the little salt shaker right there because you're cooking, it tastes a little bland. You're like, put some salt in there. They want to, you know, you got some chips, they're not good, put some salt on them. If you like salt and vinegar chips, you're like over the top, that's too much, but hey, salt is for flavor. It was the same back then. It's also for preservation, but Jesus is referring to flavor here. He says, when you encounter me, you become so different that your life becomes a message of good news to the world around you. When you come to me, you become so different that when your neighbors and your coworkers and and, and your city encounters you, they taste something of the presence of God himself. Why? Because we're awesome? Because we got it together and like, man, we just like, our heart burns for doing good and being good people. And I'm so, no but because he does something so deep in us that he, he transforms what was dark into light. He transforms what was tasted awful into something that tastes and looks beautiful. How does it happen? Uh, check out the end of this passage, Matthew 5, 16. I know I'm at the end of my passage, but I'm not done with my sermon, so don't be, there's a long way to go. You better buckle up. No. Check out the end. He says, light, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, there's two Greek words for good works, for good. And, and, and what the word that Matthew uses here, uh, there's two words. One is useful, one is beautiful. The one that Matthew uses and the one that Peter uses later is, is the word for beautiful. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, here's how, here's how people are going to come to faith in me across the generations is they're going to look on Christ's followers who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who have tasted and seen of the love and the light and the salt of Jesus. They're going to look on them and they're going to look on their life, which has been transformed by the gospel news. And they're going to see something that's so beautiful, that's so breathtaking, that's more beautiful than a, the, the greatest sunset, that's more beautiful than the most inspiring thing you've ever seen, that's so beautiful that although they, they don't agree with your message, they cannot deny your life. That although you may even be vilified for your message, you'll be validated by your life. The, the way that it works, Jesus says, is, that he comes into our lives and we have this gospel motivation that the good news comes in and it changes who we are. And we don't feel like we have to do things, but we want to do things. The gospel motivation becomes good works, that it flows out of our life like a river. And those good works are so beautiful that it causes those around us to glorify God. And they come to faith in Christ and then they have gospel motivation. And then they do good works that are beautiful. And then more people are are, are caused to glorify God. And then more people have gospel motivation. And it just goes on and on and on until all the earth is filled with his glory. This is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5 when he said, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Did you hear that? God wants to make his appeal to the world through us. That's crazy to me. I mean, I know a lot of prettier people than me. I know one or two people that are prettier than you. 
smarter than us, more intelligent than us. Definitely me. A lot of people more intelligent than me. But God chooses us to make his appeal through us. God actually says he chooses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Why? Because he's committed to the fact that this isn't our light. This isn't our salt. This is his light coming through us into the world. He's committed to it not being about how awesome we are, how compelling we are, how skilled we are at speaking the gospel words, but he's committed to it being about the work that his son has done and that work so impacting our lives that it can't help but flow out of our hearts into the world around us. God's appealing to those in our city, our neighborhoods, our workplaces through us. And many, we can be sure, will reject our message. I mean, the Christian message, if if you're uh, not aware of this, is a hard pill to swallow. I mean, the message, if you think about it, that uh, there's only one God, there's only one way to salvation. His name is Jesus. He was born in a manger in poverty, that he lived the perfect life, died on a Roman cross to forgive the sins of his people. How does that make sense? Three days later, he's like, I'm done with this death thing, gets up out of the grave. And then 40 days later, he's like, I'm gonna send back up to heaven, chill out with my father, pray for you guys. I'll come back one day and I'll make a new heaven and a new earth and we'll just kick it forever. How's that sound? Like, that's a hard pill to swallow. It's like a hard pill to swallow to say that's what life is all about. That message is at the core of everything in our life. When you, when you experience the gospel, though, you know that that's what life is all about. I mean, you have doubts, you can go through hard times, but you know that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is the life. But until God opens your eyes to that, that's a hard pill to swallow. And Jesus says, man, people are going to vilify you for your message. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be mocked. You may even be persecuted. But your life, if you walk with me, will be so beautiful. And the fruit of your life will be so rich that, that others will look on it and say, I, I don't, man, I don't agree, but I want what you have. And the hard part for us is asking the question, are people asking that question about us? Are people looking on our life and wanting what? We have, and that question is not to condemn us. You could feel ashamed. You could feel guilty. Oh, there's church again, making me feel bad. It's not the goal. It's just to take a litmus test, take an evaluation of our life and say, is there fruit coming out of my life? And if there's not, Jesus said, whoever abides in me shall bear much fruit. So what do we do when there's not fruit in our life? We run to Jesus and we get more filled with the gospel news and his fruit pours out of our lives. And then things like this happen. In AD 30, 361 to 363, a guy named Julian was the emperor of Rome. He absolutely hated Christians. Like, I can't overemphasize how much Julian hated Christians, the emperor of Rome in AD 361 to 363. But he said this, commenting on the, the impact of the Christian community in the Roman Empire. He said, atheism which he's referring to Christianity because Christians didn't believe in Julian's gods. So he said, you're atheist. So if you're a Christ follower, just know you're the first atheist. And so Julian commenting on Christianity says, atheism, Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. It has, it's a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. This is remarkable. This guy's the king, the emperor of Rome, and he's like, man, the Christians are doing so much good in my empire that they're putting me to shame. It's a scandal that they're doing so much good that people in our empire can't get help from us, but man, those Christians, they're doing so much good. 
What if St. Louis looked on the church of Jesus Christ? What if St. Louis looked on all the Christians in the city of St. Louis and said, man, they're putting us to shame. Like the, like the government of St. Louis said, man, if, the, if, if Christians left our city, our city would be in total shambles because we were doing so much good, because we were the ones carrying the banner for being the hands and feet of Jesus in our city. What if, I mean, just dream about that for a minute. Like what if that was our reality? What if the talk of the city was, man, those Christians have something that we don't understand, we don't agree with, but man, they have something that is so beautiful, so compelling that actually we, man, we feel like we should glorify God. And these Christians, they weren't doing anything special in their eyes. They were just doing what they knew to do as followers of Jesus. As, as the apostle James wrote in his letter, which is all about this tension of faith and works. You know, he says, yeah, some people say they have faith, but they don't have works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Where we get that wrong sometimes is we go, man, I gotta, I gotta do good and do good and do good and do good, and then maybe I'll have faith. Like maybe if I just, you know, come to church enough and read my Bible enough and do enough good and take care of my neighbor and serve the poor, da, 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 then maybe my heart will feel different. And, and what happens is people try that method and then they go, man, I tried church, I tried Christianity, it didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. It's like, yeah, it didn't work for you because that's not Christianity. Because Christianity is Jesus comes flooding into our hearts and, and our hearts erupt with faith. And then out of that faith, we do good. Like, like an apple tree that produces apples. We do good because it's who we are, because we're the salt of the earth, because we're the light of the world. Not because we're supposed to, but it's be, be, because it's who we are. And these Christians, they, you know, they knew what James was talking about, James 1, 27, James says this about Christianity. He says, religion, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. That seems like a statement we should pay attention to. Religion that God the Father looks at and says, that is exactly how I wanted it. That is exactly what was in my heart for my people. That seems like a statement we should pay attention to. James says, it's this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is what God the Father loves when his people are in the world, but not of the world. When his people are a part of the community and they engage the community and they love the community and they care for the community, but they don't sacrifice their beliefs. They don't sacrifice their way of life. They don't sacrifice their purity for the impurity that's around them. But they also don't just create a little Christian cul-de-sac and stay disengaged and do their thing and keep themselves right, but they engage with all their heart. He says to visit orphans and widows. The, this visit, it's not just like pay a visit. It's actually to take care of. The same way that we would take care of our own parents or take care of our own kids. So to visit widows is to care for the widows first in the church, like we care for our own mama when she can't take care of herself anymore, which means we think about them we offer our services to them. We pray for them. We make sure their needs are met. We make sure that they know if you, ever, if you need anything at all, you can call on us. But James' vision is a lot bigger than these four walls. James' vision is that the church would be this to the world, that we would care for those who don't have anyone to care for themselves. And maybe God would stir your heart to get involved with some of the things this church is doing. Uh, if you're not aware of this, I mean, once a month, a whole crew of people go out to U-City and they do these shed U-City workdays, safe housing for the elderly and disabled. And they, and they go to U-City and they make sure the elderly and disabled in U-City 
have houses they can live in that are going to be safe, they're going to be good, they're going to be taken care of. And they just, they go once a month, they just, this band of people from Jubilee goes and they get their hands dirty and they make it happen there. Maybe God would stir your heart to do something like uh, my personal heroes in this area, Jim and Lorraine Merkel, do. They, I was talking to Jim yesterday at our Saturday prayer meeting. I said, James, or Jim, I said, how long have you guys been doing this nursing home ministry? He said, oh, you know, about since 2000. 18 years, almost 20 years, him and his wife Lorraine have been going every single month consistently, bringing tidings of good news to those in a nursing home here in our city. Every single week. I mean, he goes, he preaches, Lorraine sings, beautiful. Maybe God would stir your heart to be a part of something like that. Maybe he'd stir your heart to start something like that. Maybe God would put a dream in your heart that there would be a ministry like that in every single nursing home in our city. Why not? Why not dream big? We have a big God. He is so eager to make us the hands and feet of Jesus in our city. Why not dream that our church and our, the Christian community in St. Louis could be like it was in the Roman Empire in the fourth century? But James didn't start with widows. He goes on to orphans. The word orphan here is twofold. It's, it's those whose parents have passed away, but it's also those whose parents aren't present. So this is talking about those who, who don't have parents at all. Maybe they just have one parent. They don't have a dad. They don't have a mom. Or maybe their parents are physically present, but their parents aren't spiritually present. There's a lot of kids in our city who are going to bed at night, not having a parent read them a Bible story, not having a parent pray for them, not having a parent snuggle them, not having a parent love on them and kiss them and hug them and affirm them. And, and our job as Christians isn't to point at that and judge that. You know, that... Uh, Jesus didn't say that the world would see your Facebook post and your judgment of other people and they would give glory to God. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, the world will see your good works, your beautiful works, and they'll give glory to God. Our job is not to point at the gaps in our society. Our job is to stand in the gap. And our job is to own the gaps that we have in our own life and the gaps that we have in our own community and then to stand in those gaps as ambassadors of Christ that God might make his appeal through us. And there's some people that uh, four years ago, they began to feel this. They began to feel this burden for children in our city, especially for families in our neighborhood. And they put their heads together and like, man, how do we meet these needs? And what came out of that is what we now know as our Christmas store, which we've been doing for four years. And now a bunch of people are involved. Our Kirkwood location started at this last year. And this last year, we gave over 350 gifts to well over 100 kids between those two stores. We totaled it up. You know, the gift prices are like $20 to $45 or something like that. And we totaled it up just at the $20 price tag. And we're like, man, we gave over $7,000 worth of gifts to this store. Not just me or just, but the whole community of people came together and said, we're doing this. And parents came and they shopped at this little store in our multi-purpose room that, you know, they're serving hot chocolate and praying for families and able to do Christmas with dignity for their kids. The point of saying that is to say, isn't that awesome? The point of saying that is to say that when God gets a hold of his people's hearts, there's no limit to what he can do in and through us. And what started as one person just having an itch that something isn't right and we could do something about it has become this ministry that has opened a whole door for us into these local schools. Now, where these local schools are, I just talked to vice principal the other day at one of the local schools. She said, Dylan, if you want to do anything in our school, anything at all, you just say the word and I'll make it happen. If you have people that want to come tutor our kids after school, if you have kids that want to, people that want to start after school programs, if you have uh, 
people that want to come and just spend time with our kids and love, we would love to make, you just say the word and I'll make it happen. I got an email sitting in my inbox right now just waiting for me to do something with. Maybe God would stir your heart to be that person to stand in that gap. And she said, Dylan, you know, all you have to do is like smile at some of these kids and they ear to ear, they light up. And it's true. I smiled at a few of them to test it and it's true, they do. <laughs> Super cute. Until you find out why. She said, because so many of them, they get no attention at home. They're just plop, put in front of a TV and that's it. And they come to school, they're hungry. Our job is not to point at that gap. There's, those parents probably had a hard life. Those parents probably had a hard upbringing. They probably never had anybody show them how to love their kids. Our job is to stand in the gap. And we can't stand in every gap. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, collectively as a community we're doing. You know, this, this thing with the care portal where social workers in the city are connecting needs to the local church. And someone brought it to our attention a few years ago and we started getting involved with it. And uh, we've been able to meet so many practical needs through this. And it's kind of annoying, you know, because our basement is just filled with stuff to, to give away to people. But it's incredible as well, the needs that we're able to meet through that. Or not to mention that the thousands and tens of thousands of dollars that collectively we give to keep utilities on for single moms and to keep utilities on for the elderly and to keep utilities on for the disabled in this neighborhood so that they can get through the hardest months of the year. Or the money that we gave this last year into the adoption fund, which now we actually have families in the church, multiple families in the church who have adopted children and are raising those children because of the heart of generosity in this church. And all of that is not to toot our horn and say, look at us, isn't that all? All of that is to say, look at what God can do when he gets a hold of his people's hearts. And, and really the question is, what would God have us to do? Because we know that Jesus has paid it all, it's done. We don't, it's not about what we do, it's done. But now that it's done, what, what would he lead us to do in our city that the city might look on the community of Christ's followers and say, that is beautiful. And they might turn their hearts to God and give glory to God. What would he call us to do today? Maybe the step for you is what David talks about in Psalm 37.3. If you check it out with me, Psalm 37.3. David, king of Israel. Hey, David, what do we do? How do we make a difference? How do we make an impact? He says, trust in the Lord. Sounds good. It's trust in the Lord. Do good. Okay, we've been talking about that. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Couple things, befriending faithfulness. Simply being faithful to God and faithful to the people around us is a great place to get started. Simply being faithful to the opportunities God puts in our path. We don't have to go and find a bunch of stuff. If we were just faithful with what God brings across our path, that would probably fill most of our days, most of our weeks, most of our months. And actually, that would be the greatest good we could do in society. But this thing, dwell in the land. We don't talk about dwell much, but dwell is a huge theme throughout the scriptures. I mean, God is going to dwell with his people and we'll be his people and he'll be our God. Jesus came tabernacling among us bringing the presence of God among us, dwelling together is a big idea in the scriptures. But David says, dwell in the land. How do I make an impact, David? He says, dwell in the land. Dwell, what does that mean? It means to live there. You know, we, we talk about the incarnation a lot, that Jesus left heaven and he came to earth. Some commentators would say it this way. They'd say, God, in that moment, the moment Jesus left heaven and came to earth, God moved into the neighborhood. You know, one of the, most significant ways we can make an impact in any community, it's so profound, I'll tell you. Move into the neighborhood. It's hard to make an impact in people's lives. It's hard to be an expression of the beautiful 
good news of Jesus when we're never around people. And maybe what God is calling you to do today is to move into the neighborhood, whatever that neighborhood may be. Wherever God may be calling you to minister to people, to love people, to be a beautiful expression of the works of Jesus, God may actually be knocking on your door today saying, would you move into that neighborhood? Maybe that's a step for you. We can't do it all. We can't stand in every gap, but we can stand in a gap. We can't, we can't, you and I, we can't minister to and serve every single person in this city, but we can serve and share the love and be beautiful to one person. We can. And in Luke chapter four, verse 18, Jesus, he enters the temple. He stands up. He opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he says this, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you may say, don't, why is that significant? Why, is, why does that matter? I mean, that's all about Jesus. Like, of course, Jesus came to do those things, but this conversation is about what we're doing, right? I mean, this conversation is about how we're the salt and we're the light of the earth. But Romans chapter seven tells us something. Let me make sure I got that right. Romans chapter six tells us something that's really profound. It says that the exact same spirit that was upon Jesus is now upon every person who calls on his name. That the spirit that was on Christ to do these things is on us to do the same things. And so if we were to read it that way, maybe you'd read this with me just to have some fun. Looking sleepy. All right. So I'm going to read it and it's not going to be like read and repeat. It's going to be read together. All right. So I'll try and pace good. I kind of messed it up in the nine. So just catch up with me if I mess it up. But it's everyone. I need everyone's voice, okay? It's just, it's, this flops. I'm going to feel really insecure. So let's read it together. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to preach good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what he's called us to do. That's why his spirit's upon us. His spirit isn't upon us just to give that tingly feeling down our back so we can walk out of here with a smile. His spirit is upon us that we might receive good news and be good news to the people he's put in our lives. And the amazing part about the spirit of the Lord being upon us is that he, not only does he change our hearts to where we don't view doing good just as something that I have to do, but we view doing good as something that I want to do. Not only does he do that, but also when the spirit of the Lord is upon us, which he is if we're Christ followers, and he especially is when we're walking with Jesus and we're saying, oh God, give me more of your spirit to do these works. When the spirit of the Lord is upon us, he gives us the power and the provision to do the works that Jesus is calling us to do. Which means that when we look at our lives and we take stock of our lives and we're like, oh man, my life is not producing that much fruit. Like, I'm not, I'm not really a representation of the beautiful work of Jesus in the world. We don't go, oh, okay, I'll try really hard. No, no, what we do is we say, Spirit of God, come on me. Spirit of God, show me what you're calling me to do. Give me power, give me provision, make a way, open a door, show me what I'm not seeing. Spirit of God, come. That's what we do. And we do that. And we do good works that are motivated by the gospel and empowered by the spirit. Our lives become good news. And not only that, but our church becomes good news. Can you imagine a day where like the, the there's 79 neighborhoods in the greater St. Louis, uh, in the St. Louis city and 
than a whole bunch of suburbs. Can you imagine if St. Louisians joined their voices with Julian, the emperor of Rome, and said, man, I hate their message, but gosh, their life is beautiful. Can you imagine if St. Louisians looked on us and actually the, the government of St. Louis looked on Jubilee Church and said, you know, we're not for what they're talking about and all that, but man, if that church ever closes their doors, we're in trouble because they do so much good in this community. That's the dream that I'm living with today, and I want to help us make that dream a reality. So if you want to get out your bulletin, I just want to get super practical. A lot of times I listen to a message like this, or I read through them, I see these things, I say, God, I want to do it, but what do I do? If you're like me, here's some really simple next steps. I've got a page in your bulletin there. It says gospel at the top, gospel on the back. There's six opportunities on here that we're currently engaged with that you could get engaged with today, that that you could say today, this is what I'm gonna get started with. And then as God brings opportunities, maybe I'll I'll get busy with more. Maybe you look at this and you go, oh, it's just, there's nothing on here that's really like connecting with what my heart is beating for. It may be that God would have you start something that the rest of us can get in on. But what I want you to do, I want you to grab out this page, look through this, maybe take this home, take a week, pray about it, ask God, what are you calling me to do? And then on the back of your communication card, instead of check boxes for, this is how we can serve the Jubilee community together, I put check boxes on there this week that, that are these check boxes. This is how we can serve the St. Louis community together. And actually, there's a task team that's, that's working on identifying opportunities in the neighborhoods that, that we're in as a community and helping us to get involved with those organizations. So if you want to just learn about any opportunity that comes along, they're going to be helping us find those and getting us connected. So Man, grab that card, check whatever you're interested in, and we will follow up with you this week and get you the information to get involved with that. Will you stand with me? I want to I pray for us. I'm dreaming about a day where every single one of us has both is receiving the good news, is filled with the good news, and because of Christ in us, we can't help but do good around us. I'm dreaming about a day where our coworkers look on us and say, man, I don't know what it is, but I want what you have. Where our neighbors look on us and say, man, I'm so glad they live in the neighborhood. They're kind of crazy with that Christian thing, but I'm so glad they're here. Church, I believe we can dream together about a day where our city looks at Jubilee Church and says, oh God, don't ever let them leave. And they see the love, they see the hands and feet of Jesus at work and Whatever it is that they have, it's real, it's true, and we want it. The gospel is good news. It's good news to us, and it's good news through us. I want to pray for us. Maybe you're like me this morning. You're a little convicted by God. You know that God's stirring your heart to do, to be good news to the people around you. Maybe just hold out your hands while I pray and ask God to fill you with good news in such a way that you become good news.